it's difficult to turn around a battleship, right? But if you have an agile workforce, it can respond much more quickly than a workforce that is stagnant or can't deal with these things. Leaders face challenges every single day. That's why Udemy Business is bringing you a new podcast called Leading Up. I'm Alan Todd, the host of Leading Up and Vice President of Udemy Business. In every episode, I have conversations with guests who share the inspiration, advice, and research you need to level up. Let's work, lead, and live differently. If you were a learning and development leader who was brought into an organization and given a completely blank slate and the goal to unlock human potential, harness collective genius, what would you do? Where would you start? That's the situation this week's guest found himself in. Stuart Kidd has 30 years of experience in the private sector, most recently as chief learning officer at Computer Science Corp. Then in 2021, he moved into local government. He's now the Director of Human Resources and Talent at Kershaw County in South Carolina. As a leader, he sparked a transformation that inspired those that were feeling stagnant and turned high potential employees into high performers. Stuart, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. So let's get started. So I'd love to hear about your career journey. You were in a Fortune 500 organization, learning efforts, 80,000 people all over the world, and you take the step into local government where all the people are sitting in one county. How did that come about? It was actually a radical change, but most of my career was actually dealing with both internal and external customers throughout the United States and even overseas. When I made this career change, it was it was very rewarding to finally get acquainted with the people that, that live around me and my neighbors and try to do something in my own backyard and bringing some of the things that I learned from the private sector into the public sector to actually help the community I live in. Yeah, so tell us about that community. I noticed that you've got multiple degrees from Clemson, University of South Carolina. Give us a taste of what it's like living in Camden, South Carolina. Well, Camden, South Carolina is a very historical town. It's the oldest inland city in South Carolina. And for many years, it has benefited from a very uh, diverse community. Early on, DuPont made a, a very large investment in the community. And we have many other international manufacturers located here as well. It's not a very large community, but it is uh, very diverse and it's thriving. When you entered the job that you're in now, so leading learning and talent and HR, this kind of blank slate mandate, I'm curious if you could talk about the differences, like was it culture shock for you and how'd you think about it? It was culture shock in many ways because, as you know, the public sector doesn't always have the resources that a strong private corporation does in regard to revenue and things of that nature. So many of the things that I was used to doing in talent and development were just non-existent here. They just didn't have the resources or the capabilities to do that. Given that you did not walk into a mature kind of learning and development culture, How did you build the business case or get the budget or convince people that this is where we have to invest? Well, in some ways, I think our back was up against the wall. I mean, we had an aging workforce and we didn't want to lose that talent. We wanted to extend the runway for our highly skilled people who had been here for a long time. We didn't want them to get stagnated. We wanted to increase the size of our talent pool. And one way you do that is through retention, as well as by attracting new employees as well. 
And it was almost as if you were using a stick rather than a carrot. The benefit was, you know, we had a clean slate. It allowed us to do things in a very positive way, and it was accepted in a very positive way. People embraced it because they didn't have, you know, a lot of prior experience with training and development. So almost anything that we were willing to provide them was readily embraced. The real trick there was to teach them the actual value of being a continuous lifelong learner rather than just coming to work every day, sitting at their desk, doing an excellent job with what they had been doing for the past 20 years. You've mentioned something I'll maybe paraphrase or rephrase it as kind of getting these employees, getting them visibility across silos or helping people to be more mobile with their career, not locked into a single role. How did you all think about that? And what are the benefits of being a little more mobile and not locked, seeing yourself in a single role for 20 years? Well, we wanted to provide upward mobility, but so many times, many of our teams, they're kind of segregated by different offices. They're sometimes in different buildings or locations. And quite quite frankly, some of our best talent was not getting visibility across the entire organization. We wanted to bring our managers together and to share information about their team members. And they were very open to this. And bringing those managers together and having that kind of dialogue allowed us to actually identify our high potential employees and to give them visibility across the organization rather than being stuck in a particular silo. And one of the ways we did that was we, we used a process associated with what we like to refer to as a nine cell matrix and the vocabulary that goes along with that. And basically that nine cell matrix asks us to discuss employees' performance and potential along those two axes, right? Performance and potential. And we, of course, we had to bring all of our managers together initially to train them in that methodology because many of our managers had never done that before. They needed to understand the vocabulary. They needed to understand, you know, how to discuss the differences between skills and competencies, the differences between performance and potential, how you measure potential, which is different than how you measure performance, the value of using competencies rather than skills. And then last but not least, our managers had to learn how to do developmental counseling. We don't have a strong history of performance assessment here. So the good news is we can start out with the carrot rather than the stick, giving them something, giving them the development. But our managers were reluctant because they had not been in the habit of sitting down one-on-one -on -one with employees and talking about an employee's development and talking about their performance and talking about their potential. So, of course, the good news was we were able to rely on a lot of you know, assets in our Udemy course library to put together a custom learning path for our managers to give them the skills they needed to launch this initiative. And all that had to be done prior to any development that we provided to our employees. Yeah. So was there any skepticism in the part of employees where they think, oh, no, I'm being assessed like they did, you know, you've made it very clear that you focused on development and positivity and the, and the carrot, not the stick. But I always get the sense when these things come in, here's the new guy, Stuart, and now our managers are assessing us and we don't have a culture that works that way. Now we do. Where was the pushback, if any? How did you mitigate that? To tell you the truth, I think the pushback was more at the managerial level than at the employee level. The managers were worried about pushback from employees, how they would handle that. But by giving the management the right terminology, 
putting the right focus on it. We don't even use the term training, really. We use the term development because we thought yeah. training was too limiting. And development means everything from growth assignments to mentoring to shadowing to online courses, so on and so forth. So I think once we taught that vocabulary to our managers, then it was quite an easy sell for the employees. Plus the fact that we told employees that we were going to give them an hour during the workday each week to receive training. And the other good thing was we told them, in addition to that, your manager will assign courses to you that are related to your job that will help you to become a better performer. But guess what? You can also take courses during that same hour for your own professional or personal development because we believe to, in taking a holistic approach to developing employees. So it's not only about what you do at work that makes you successful at work, but what else is happening in the rest of your life that makes you a successful employee. So we have employees that will opt to take personal finance courses, wellness courses, and all of these things, while not directly tied to the job, certainly help make for a better employee. And that was part of our messaging and our employees embrace that. So we actually got a very strong ROI for our investment in development. Yeah, that's really powerful. We had another guest on the podcast, Professor Bob Quinn from the University of Michigan. And he's written extensively to research on bringing your whole self to work and what are the benefits and how that unleashes everything kind of that you just described. Do you get a sense that they're they're sort of bringing their whole self to work or you're creating that environment for them to do that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was no doubt in our mind that employees deal with a lot of issues, not only in work, but outside of work. And a lot of times the issues they're dealing with outside of work is brought into the office. And so concurrent, you know, to our initiative with employee development, we had other initiatives going on, such as what we called KC Works Well, Kershaw County Works Well, and it was a wellness initiative. So it was easy to tie that into this as well. Quite frankly, we had an amazing testimonial provided by uh, one of what we call our high professionals. She was an extremely talented individual, had worked for the county a number of years, and she had a rather tragic life experience in that she had lost a longtime spouse. And that's a very challenging, life-changing issue to deal with, and that could, in some instances, impact an employee at work. But she actually was able to take courses like personal finance, and other things. And she told us that having access to that type of development, that personal enrichment really helped her to get through that difficult time. And what we think actually helped to make her a better employee. And she was very vocal about what our emphasis on personal development did for her. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. And I'm wondering if we could generalize, how did building a learning culture motivate those people that were less motivated, maybe lower performers, like just this whole process you brought? How did it, how did it change the culture towards learning and performance? Well, one of the ways it did it was it allowed people to explore areas that they weren't able to explore in their current job. So, you know, we did want to provide visibility across the organization, but we also wanted to provide upward mobility and to promote from within. We said, you know, now you might be working in the public works area, you might be working in the finance area, but you might want to try something different. And of course, making development resources available to them to, to move into different areas, 
refreshes them and renews them, inspires them, and helps them to prepare for that next step, whatever it may be. And it may not be an upward position. It may be a lateral one. But in the end, they will be more satisfied, more happy. The retention will be better. And so just providing all those different options and making it available. And of course, our administrator was very adamant at the time. He said, you know what? If we develop a person and it makes them more valuable on the external market, and they leave to go to a better job, then that's a good thing. We have helped that person, and we have actually increased our employee value proposition because other people will want to come to work here, not necessarily to use it as a stepping stone, but to know it can promote their career, and we are in their corner, and we are for them in addition for the organization. Yeah, that's a powerful perspective and point of view to take from the senior leadership team to develop people. There's an old saying I used to love, Better to train them and have them leave than not train them and have them stay. I'm familiar with that. I love that one. I, in fact, I use that quite frequently during this initiative. More from Stuart Kidd after this short break. buzz around Gen AI isn't going anywhere. Leaders and managers are key to identifying how their companies can use the technology and creating a plan to grow their employees' skills. Learn how Udemy can help at business.udemy.com forward slash Gen AI now. So, You've written and argued quite persuasively that agility is fundamental. I'll call it like a super skill. It enables you to deal with paradox and learn on the fly and develop yourself and deal with ambiguity and all these other sort of great things. So can you talk about why agility matters? Absolutely. First and foremost, if we're evaluating employees in regard to performance and potential, performance is a rather easy nut to crack. You can tell if they're performing in their job or not. Measuring potential becomes much more difficult. And the closer we looked at this thing called potential, what we discovered was we felt that the competencies associated with agility would be actually the most successful things to look at. Potential in regard to agility actually helps your whole organization become agile. And we kind of broke it down into, I think, maybe four different categories. Mental agility, learning on the fly, problem solving, uh, creativity. But then there's also pe people agility, listening, understanding others, self-knowledge, personal learning, right? And then you have change agility, right? Change management, innovation management, dealing with ambiguity is an important one. And then results agility, right? Composure, driving for results, command skills, managing vision and purpose. And these things we felt were the best predictors of potential. So we wanted to focus on potential and we felt agility was going to be the competency that we wanted to look at the most closely. Agility is also good because, you know, it helps an organization rapidly respond to changes. It's difficult to turn around a battleship, right? But if you have an agile workforce, it can respond much more quickly than a workforce that is stagnant or can't deal with these things. How can our listeners develop their ability to be agile? How do I develop these competencies associated with agility that you've described? What's your advice? 
Well, there's a couple of ways you can go about it. You know, the simple way is to understand that, you know, agility is really primarily all about effectively dealing with change and embracing change. And we've heard it a million times, the change is inevitable, right? And so it all depends on how you address that change, right? Some people are resistant to it. Some people receive stress from it. Other people thrive on it, right? And so I think once you get to the point where you understand that change is going to be inevitable, then you need to gain some tools to deal with it. Looking at some of these competencies and, and uncovering them, getting a good lexicon that might describe for you some activities that can build agility. And one of the ways that we build agility here is we actually, you know, ask our employees to engage in shadowing. You know, if you're a manager and you have a person that you want to make more agile, give them a stretch assignment. Give them a growth assignment. See how they can learn on their feet in the moment, right? Learn a little bit about what it takes for that next higher job. And then they tend to lessen their apprehension about it. They've been exposed to that. Give them as many new things as possible. And then they'll learn to go with the flow. They'll say, hey, we've, we've been in this position before. You know, yes, the circumstances are different, but we succeeded in the past and we can succeed in the future. All that has to do with agility, I think. Yeah, and so you're developing agility, teaching it, about it, evangelizing it. How do you all, if you can nail it, how do you identify high potential employees? So as I said a moment ago, we use the nine-cell matrix and we bring together managers in groups of about six people at a time. And they actually roll up their sleeves and they openly and candidly discuss their team members with other managers. The reason they do that is to normalize the data because we don't want any one manager assessing employees with our nine cell matrix in a vacuum. And that tends to take the individual biasy out of it. So we talk about potential and then depending on where the employee falls in the nine cell matrix, we can develop a pipeline and we can actually track how many people are in each cell, how many are among the best few and the high potential, how many are what we call rising stars and how many are a diamond in the rough depending on what cell they're in, in that nine-cell matrix. Then we make assignments based on that. And they're not always permanent assignments. We have something called KC Solutions, right? Kershaw County Solutions. And those are SWAT teams. And we will take those high-potential employees and put them on a SWAT team and give them an assignment and then give them a little bit of training on the front end and then turn them loose to come up with a solution. And those high-potentials are pulled from all different departments. So you might have people from public works. You might have people from finance. You might have people from IT, and they all might be working on a project that has nothing to do with their particular area. So they're getting visibility across the organization. They're learning about other teams and other functions to deal with what we believe are, are critical issues that are facing our organization. We just finished one project. We had a vehicle decommissioning project. We have emergency vehicles. We have sheriff's department vehicles. And at some point, they need to be decommissioned. So we pulled together a KC solution team to focus on that. They provided an automated solution that managers, when they want to decommission a vehicle, can use this tool. And it was just a great experience for those high-potential employees. So we're very proud of that, and we're going to continue to have those SWAT teams assigned to other issues that come up. Yeah, I love it. So have you seen progress over time now that you've done this? To, can people actually increase their potential? Can they increase their performance? Do you look at those measures to measure the impact of all of this work that you've been driving? 
Well, we do track it. We do see some upward movement, and that's a good thing. But I also might add, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a high performer that is just really good at what they do and really isn't necessarily desiring to do something else, right? Because you need those people. Those are your bread and butter people that are the experts. You don't want them to get stagnant. So you make those people the guru and you give them an opportunity to train others and this fulfills them and so even though they're still doing the same job they were before it gives them something to work toward and in many cases can revitalize their careers because they're training the next generation there's people out there that that are great at doing that and they like that role yeah i love that you're taking people with wisdom and harnessing that, sharing that, getting them to become leader teachers, such a powerful, powerful concept and helping people as well towards the end of their career to leave a legacy for those that are inspired and motivated to significance. Uh, Very cool. I want to switch gears. You're an advocate of competencies versus skills. And the this kind of goes against the grain right now. Every single thing we see is skills, skills, skills. And the word skills is taking over the lexicon. Talk about competencies and and why you prioritize those. Skills, you know, are things that are specific to a particular job or role, and you need those. So it's not to say we don't think skills are important, but we focus on competencies for a number of reasons. And one reason is we feel skills are relatively easy to teach. If you need to teach someone how to be a welder or how to, you know, use a spreadsheet or how to process or, or to do coding, we can do that. But competencies are much more difficult to teach, and that's why we put a little bit more effort toward that. And the reason we do that is we believe that competencies are more transferable between jobs. And if you're going to make for an agile organization, it's the competencies that will help you do that, not necessarily the skills. People can learn the skills, right? But the competencies are a little more challenging. But if you focus on the competencies and you develop those competencies, then that employee can not only do the job that they're currently assigned to, per se, but a number of other jobs as well. Yeah, and I, and I love uh, the way you explain that and the way you talk about it and the way you think about it. But I'm curious, why, why is the world, why are skills taking over right now? The word, right? Skills inventory, skills management, skills taxonomies. I see it every day. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think without being too harsh in my criticism, I think people want to get things up and running in a hurry. And if you have a job and you know what skills are required for the job, it's pretty easy to go ahead and find somebody with those skills. But I think that's a little bit nearsighted, right? And so I think competencies, just like you would build skills into a job description, I think competencies need to be built into a job description as well. Skills tell you how a person can do the current job and how they will perform, and that's a good thing. But if you want to look toward the future, you want to look toward potential, you want to look toward agility, then you got to look at competencies as well. And remember, competencies are much more transferable. You're dealing with the whole person, and you're extending their career, as well as the opportunity for your organization to address things that you can't currently envision at the present time. So, Stuart, as we wrap up, there's a question that we ask all of our guests. What are you curious about and learning now? You know, I think that 
The thing we need to look at now is change is inevitable. We're in a transition, right? We see a lot of changes coming out of the pandemic. We see a lot of changes swaying back and forth between, you know, virtual teams and blended teams and people that are working at home. We did some things in county government during the pandemic we had never done before. I think we sent... I don't know if it was 30% of our workforce home for a portion of the time. They had to learn how to work at home. They needed to learn to adapt. And now people are coming back into the workforce and trying to, you know, make that adjustment. We made the adjustment one way. Now we have to make the adjustment the other way. You know, how can we show them the benefit of coming back in and working as a team and working side by side and the synergy and the energy that's generated from people being back in the workplace as well? But without losing the capability that we learned during the pandemic of leveraging technology and using, you know, virtual solutions for things. We can't ever lose that capability. And so learning how to move forward in the new world without leaving behind the lessons we learned, I think is going to be very, very important. Beautiful. Stuart Kidd, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. It's been a delight. That was Stuart Kidd. He's the Director of Human Resources and Talent at Kershaw County Government in South Carolina. Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy. If you've learned something new, tell a friend about this show. Follow the podcast on your favorite podcasting app, such as Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. That way you never miss an episode. To learn more about Leading Up or how Udemy can help you close skill gaps and move business forward, visit business.udemy.com. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex McManus, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard. <laughs>